0: And Mary said, Behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. Altogether, the grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God will stand forever.
1: Would you please uh, remain standing? Thanks, Empty. Here we go. Heavenly Father, this morning we come to you. Asking that your Holy Spirit would find in our hearts a space, a hospitable space to hear from you. We pray that your holiness would burn away all those things in us that would be an obstacle of sorts from really hearing from you and learning from you. Lord, we want to treasure your word in our hearts, but we're stubborn and we are distracted and so I beg you that for just a few moments, you would help us to savor and delight and eagerly learn from your word. For we pray this to the glory of Jesus, your son, our savior. Amen. You may be seated. Well, good morning. Um, my name is Ronnie. Ronnie. If you're a visitor, we're really glad that you're here. Um, we're we're deep into Advent now, fam. And Advent is that special time that Christians use to reflect on the incarnation of Jesus, of God in Jesus, and it reminds us of this time. We're rehearsing this time when the when the world was filled with darkness. Right, And the people of Israel were waiting. They're waiting and longing under that oppression, under that darkness. And they were hoping, begging for God's intervention. And God sent a light into the darkness. And it was Jesus. And the arrival of Jesus changed everything. A new world order had begun. And this morning, we're going to study that moment. When Mary is given the news that God would come to earth through her very womb. The sermon series that we have been through in the season has been on the mothers of God, right? We've looked at Eve and we looked at uh, Ruth and Rahab. uh, These precious women who have had hard stories, But we see how their stories have been redeemed as they are put in in, in a part of the family line of God incarnate, of Jesus. And so we've called this sermon series, The Mothers of God. But really, it's more like the great, 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 great grandmothers of God, right? But not with Mary. Mary gave birth to God incarnate. Jesus chose his own mom, like get your brain around that. Now think about this like from her perspective. Mary is this poor Jewish peasant girl, likely around 14 years old. She'd grown up hearing the stories of her people, right? How, how God had rescued Israel from, from slavery out of Egypt. The God of this universe, right? She she would hear these stories every year. The God of the universe manifest in this pillar of fire leading Israel out of Egypt through the Red Sea. And and, and in these stories, she could imagine it. God was so near to his people in that Exodus story that, that the people could feel his blazing heat on their cheeks. And now... She is told that God wants to visit his people once again. God wants to rescue once again. And now this white, hot, blazing fire, it's not close to her, it's in her belly. This passage that we just heard is what we know from church history, what we call the Annunciation. And this is when the angel Gabriel breaks the news. And this announcement is brimming with grace that you and I desperately need this Christmas season. And do you know why it sounds so good to me? Because I'm tired. I mean, I'm spiritually tired. I need to be reminded that this present life doesn't offer me what I really need. Rather, what I need is God's grace in this present and precise Moment, Because the Christmas season is complex, isn't it? I mean, it's joyful and fun, but it's also really hard. And no number of presents at Christmas fixes it. A brand new TV can't take away the sadness of a messy divorce or the unfulfilled desire to be married. New clothes can't take away the broken heart of a sick child or the reminder that you can't have children. A new guitar or a video game can't take away the memory of being abused during Christmas when you were younger. A brand new car can't take away the guilt that you feel when you realize that you were the abuser, and it haunts you. The presence and the lights of Christmas can't take away our sadness our exhaustion, or our guilt. And what we need is a king who can convert enemies into sons and daughters, who can invite us into his kingdom, who can invite us into eternal hope, a king who can be a light in our darkness. And that's why we're gonna take time this morning to study the events surrounding the news of grace that a virgin would be pregnant. With our Lord. So, we're going to study this precious passage by using two ideas for you note takers. We're going to look first at the greeting of grace and then the costs and benefits of grace. So, let's begin with the greeting of grace. So, I am not a Star Wars nerd, Jason, complete and utter nerd. Me, not so much. I enjoy the movies, but I'm certainly not, like, listening to, like, podcasts about it. But, you know, when The Mandalorian came out, you know, I was excited to watch it. So I did, and I enjoyed it as much as the next guy. And during this one particular scene, the nerds caught something. Guys like Jason were calling in. During one of the shots, a camera crewman made it into one of the shots accidentally. And it was all over the media because it was kind of funny. And you have to look really hard because it's barely noticeable, barely noticeable. But there's this guy tucked away, and he's hidden in the corner. But if you look for it, and you can just YouTube this, you can see what is now known as the jeans guy. Barely noticeable, hidden. And it makes me think about Mary and her hiddenness in this story. By first century standards, she is barely noticeable. You couldn't be more hidden than Mary. She was young, right, I mentioned about 14, in a world that valued age and and the wisdom that it brings. She was poor in a deeply stratified economic class system. She was, a, she was a girl in a world ruled by men. And she lives outside of the city centers, away from the parliaments of power and the trappings of religious influence. Mary is barely noticeable. But you and I are supposed to notice because God did. It's truly beautiful that the advent of Jesus starts with Mary being hidden away as she was in the eyes of the world. The way that advent begins tells us a whole lot, a whole lot about what God is like. God comes to people who are barely noticeable all the time. Advent is for the whole world. It's universal, but it's, I want you to hear this. It is for people like you and, for, and like me, in whatever places that we find ourselves, facing whatever it is that we're facing. See, our passage shows the notice of God immediately in verse 26. It's almost like one of those YouTube videos that kind of starts out way in the universe and it zeroes in on the galaxy and then it goes, descends into. Uh, our solar system and then to earth and to, then to our city and even to our street and our house. Have you seen these videos? See, in verse 26, look there, we see the text descending. It, beca- it begins with God and then to Israel and then to Nazareth and to a little house and a back room where a young, unsuspecting virgin girl sits. And after all that, We finally learn her name, Mary, all alone. Now, we've heard this story before, but I I want us to feel how remarkable the descent is. Gabriel in verse 28 says, Greetings, O favored one, the Lord is with you. Now Mary certainly recognized how remarkable it was. She knows the stories of God in the blazing fire and now it is with her. Verse 29, she was greatly troubled at the saying and tried to discern what kind of greeting this would be. Why is Mary troubled by this greeting? Is it the appearance of Gabriel? Surely this is no cubit, Cupid, right? No chubby baby with wings, none of that. Oh, maybe it's the message, right? That, that this virgin, a teenage girl, would be pregnant. That would be understandable. But she's actually troubled before she, under, she hears and learns about this news because those details don't come until verse 31. You know what she's troubled by? The greeting of grace she was troubled that the angel of God would greet her by calling her, verse 28, O favored one. And then again in verse 30, for you have found favor with God. See, that word favor comes from the same Greek root word by which we get the word grace. Grace is what troubled her. And to understand how unnerving this is, you have to see this through her world she was steeped in what was called the ancient benefaction system. Now, I know you didn't come to church thinking you're gonna learn about the ancient Near East and its benefaction system, but let me explain. What is that? Well, in those times, very few things were actually bought and sold with money, with actual money. Maybe a day laborer would have wages or a slave would get a few wages, but not much else was really exchanged by money. Primarily, people were paid and provided for through this benefaction system by a benefactor. So powerful people with resources would go to the poor class and say, I am going to provide for you through favors. I'll provide a house, food, some land, and so on. And in return, you will work for me. You'll you'll do things for me. You'll run errands. You'll work the land. But the main thing, that these people did for the benefactor is to spread their honor. So family honor is a really big deal in, a, in an honor-shame culture. They spread honor by saying, hey, look at my benefactor. Look how worthy he is, how honorable. When they were with their friends, when they were in the community, when they were doing a business exchange for their benefactor, they would promote the honor of their benefactor, their provider. So here's the thing. From, their from, the, from the perspective of the benefactor, if you're going to give a gift to someone, a grace, you need to be careful who you give it to. You wouldn't want to just give it to anyone. Rather, you'd want to give it to someone who is networked, who could strategically spread your honor, to so someone you could get the most from for, you know, for your capital, for your resources. Because the honor of the benefactor is tied to the suitability of the recipients, you see. uh, If this is a little abstract, think of it like when someone asks you to write a recommendation letter. Like, if you're going to write a recommendation letter, if you're going to vouch for them and and put your name and tie your name to theirs, you hope that they would be suitable. Because if you tie your name to someone and they end up being like subpar, how does that look on you? You vouch for them, all right? Well, so it is in the ancient benefaction system. It's not that a person can earn the right to receive these benefits. The relationship between the giver and the receiver is not mutual, it's not reciprocal. However, suitability is important. You give your graces, your favors to suitable recipients. This is the wild context of this greeting. This is why this is so disturbing to Mary. See, this passage is set in the context of the sixth month. See how it says that in verse 26? In the sixth month, we are told later in verse 36, it's the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy, Mary's cousin. See, Elizabeth was barren, but God gave her and Zechariah a child which would we know as John the Baptist. Now that child was miraculous too, but it made sense, right? It made sense for God to visit that family. I mean, Zechariah is a high priest. He he was an influencer. He's serving in the temple. He was an elder, a holy man. He is strategic for spreading honor. But Mary? What made her a reasonable choice? She held no office, no reputation, no family name, no no lineage. Notice that it traces Joseph's family lineage, right? He is from the house of David, but Mary's from nobody. She's from Nazareth. What good ever came from Nazareth? She's just a young girl, no strategic capital. There are few people less qualified, less suitable than Mary. And what is it that qualifies her for God's grace? Nothing. That's what makes this so beautifully troubling. There is nothing in Mary that we can point to to say that she was suitable for God's grace. And so God would break the mold. The world's system is one way, But not this time and not this God. While the system of the world gives its grace to suitable recipients, God's favor comes to people who are unsuitable. God God gives grace in a way that is beyond reason. And that's what makes it beautiful. And by reading Mary's story, you and I are learning a whole lot about what God is like. This is the good news of Advent. God comes to Mary. God's grace comes to unsuitable people like us. Advent tells us that the joy that Jesus had from being with his Father in heaven from all eternity past. He was glad to give up so that he could be with people like us. Jesus did not consider equality with God something to be grasped onto, right? He was willing to let it go if it meant being with us, for us, and for our good. Even our own very Barely noticeable hidden lives. Even facing the stuff that you're going through that no one knows that you're facing. Facing the stuff that you hope no one finds out about, the addictions, the sins we battle, the loss that we're facing, the pain, the mental pain, the physical pain, the longing for change longing for something better, Jesus descends into all of that and he brings grace. He is grace. He has come to you too. And this is just true. Not because we are suitable, simply because that is what the Lord is like. And here's the litmus test to see if you can actually understand this. How do you respond to this question? Why me? Why give me the Christ gift? If you say, well, I've lived a good life. I'm not as bad as other people. If you say that, then you've misunderstood. If you say, well, God should love me because God is love. God is love, but you have not understood. And if you even say, because of my faith, then even that, you have not understood. Though you receive grace by faith, you don't get grace because of your faith. So what is it? Why me? What's the answer? I cannot give an answer. There is nothing that could earn or make me suitable for God's grace. This, the fact that you cannot give an answer, that is actually what sets Christianity apart from all the world religions. If you can't point to something, then it is disturbing. And it is uniformly God's grace and a gift. Let that trouble you. Let it humble you. It did for Mary. And if you do, Christmas will become beautiful again. It'll become hopeful again. Let's transition though, because there's more. Let's transition to our second. So second point, we looked at the greeting of grace Let's look at the cost and benefit of grace. So this announcement from Gabriel to Mary is, like I mentioned earlier, it's called the Annunciation. It's, uh, it's captured the, ima- the imagination of artists all over the world and throughout the centuries. Uh, you see this scene often depicted in Renaissance art, but it's really the medieval artists who have a beautiful way of getting to the intention of this particular scene. And those ancient portraits—they uh, don't actually represent Gabriel's words to Mary. They depict Mary's words when she says in verse 38, "Behold, I am a servant. I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word." In the medieval paintings and portraits, those words are actually painted above the head of Mary but they're actually written upside down as if to be read from above, right? From outside of the frame. This is their way of demonstrating that what she said in that moment was not addressed to Gabriel, it was addressed to God. She subsumes her will underneath the will of God who is with her. Mary allows God's will to cut across her own. And she embraces his purposes. This is not cute or sentimental. It is truly unnerving. And to understand how wild this is, you have to review the terrifying details. So after this initial greeting, Gabriel gets into the actual details of this severe grace, as I'll call it. Verse 31, look there says you will conceive in your womb and bear a son. You shall call him Jesus. Verse 32, he will be called son of the most high. God will give him the throne of David. Verse 33, he will reign forever and of his kingdom, there will be no end. Throughout history, a few babies that are born would become kings. But never in history are kings born, Lord, at thy birth. This child is born a king with a rule that never ends. Listen, kingdoms rise and kingdoms fall, but not this one. This one endures forever. Now, now Gabriel understands that Mary is having trouble comprehending this. And, and listen, from the song, which we call the Magnificat, which is the next passage, from the song that she sings, uh, she, Mary knows that this is good news for the whole world. But for now, she's just confused. And so she asks, verse 34, how will this be since I am a virgin? Now listen, I know that they are pre-modern but they know how babies are made. And we don't know if Mary's mind is racing into the future. We don't know what she's thinking about. Having a child is certainly something she thought about in the future when, her, when Joseph and Mary would finally be married, but not now. Is her heart racing to what her parents will say? What her small town will say? What Joseph will say when he finds out. What does this mean for their betrothal? We don't know what she's thinking about, but we do know what follows. Whispers and accusations would follow her and her son their entire lives. This favor, this grace will cost her. And that matters, right? I don't want to over-spiritualize this, It matters, but she doesn't resist. She just wants to know how. And so Gabriel walks her into even deeper mysteries. Verse 35, the Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child will be born, will be called Holy, the Son of God. And then the angel substantiates this by telling her something that she did not know before. Verse 36, that her relative, Elizabeth who was barren is in her 6th month of pregnancy and that verse 37 that nothing will be impossible with God that nothing will be impossible that is a benefit and a cost of grace nothing is impossible with God now this truth is not An invitation to get cute, fancy, or weird about the miracles of God. This is a bold underlining of the promises that God has already made. That there is nothing that can subvert his good intentions for our good, for the forgiveness of sins, for the restoration of the whole world. Sadness, tears, loss, all of it. Nothing can thwart God's will. Not our stubbornness, not our running away, not our lack of humility, not even death. How? How? It's Mary's son. See, however impressive Elizabeth's son, who is John the Baptist, Mary's son is different. See, John's arrival is great, he will prepare the way, but Jesus is permanent. He is the way. John will be great before the Lord, but Jesus is greatness embodied. John is a means to God's end, but Jesus is God himself. Newness is breaking in, and and John the Baptist will be set apart as holy, but Jesus, as it says in verse 35, is the holy one of Israel, God in flesh. This grace coming to Mary is the highest of honors. But God and his will must cut across the will of Mary. Her plans and her imagination of what her life would be like, all is put to the side. Accepting this grace would radically change her life forever. She would always be viewed as an illegitimate mother with an illegitimate son. It is a costly acceptance. And it's really important that you hear this. If you put your hope in Jesus Christ, you will have the benefits of unbreakable hope, but it will cost. It will radically change your life You might even be viewed as an illegitimate scholar, an illegitimate professional, an illegitimate student. But God's will must cut across your own. But you're not alone. When Gabriel says to Mary that the Holy Spirit will come upon you, the author, Luke, he will write those exact words again in volume two in the book of Acts when the Holy Spirit, what it says, comes upon the early church, Jesus is with them, strengthening, comforting as they surrender their will to his. And The early church lived lives that they never would dream of. The Holy Spirit took them to places that they never imagined. Our idea of what is best, our imagination of what is, what is the best for our life is far too small. I mean, where would we be if God said yes to all of our short-sighted, half-hearted prayers that we have prayed all of these years? Our job is to rest in God whose will graciously cuts across our own. You know, part of growing and maturing in the Christian faith is to learn and to rest in the truth that every waking moment of our lives, and in particular, the chaos, the failures, the pain, and the difficulty, every part of our lives is to be surrendered to the Lord. We must learn and even ache and long with, with Mary's prayer always on our heart. I am The servant of the Lord, I am your servant. Let it be to me according to your word, Lord. Would you take time this season to sincerely make that prayer yours? And when you become weary, when you're doubting, when you're distracted, I want you to remember the son of Mary, Jesus. Mary would not be the only one to utter that prayer. Her son, that baby, would grow, and he would be perfectly just and holy. He would live a perfect life, perfectly given away for others, perfectly surrendered to his father. And one day he would find himself in a garden, knowing that his unjust death was imminent, And even while he is praying, he's so anguished that he would sweat blood from his glands. And while he's praying, he would pray what? I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. Let this cup pass from me, but not my will. Your will be done. Father, it is my greatest honor to have your will cut across my own. And not only was the Father's will cut across his, but he was cut. And he died. The Holy One was killed so that you and I could live abundantly, even at Christmas, this very complex season. And so the hope is Christmas forever With him. May this prayer be on our hearts always. Amen.